the population's growing and we're not to the point where they've exceeded the supply to make their stuff. We're not to the point where it's been a long enough period of time where they've got to figure out how to dispose of things and start replacing them. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Grant Norwood. And today, we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with Grant, he is CEO of Norwood Energy, where he handles the day operations and evaluations of oil and gas prospects and minerals. Grant's specialty is recognizing opportunity hotspots in undiscovered areas of the country where they can operate significantly below what it costs large oil, co- oil corporations. And he couples this expertise with the desire to help passive investors get involved in what is one of the most lucrative but inaccessible industries in the world. Grant, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Glad you had me on. Yeah, I'm pumped about this conversation, man. You know, I got a background in oil and gas. You're an oil and gas man. Uh, This is the first time we've uh, talked about oil and gas on the show. So super excited about the conversation. Before we dive into all the good stuff, man, tell us more about your background and how you got into oil and gas. Uh, How I got into it was just kind of being mesmerized from a young age just being around in executives, uh, just fortunate enough to get to hang out with the Devon guys back when they were getting started and really blowing up the Barnett shale. And I didn't understand any of it. You know, I kind of speculated. Would ask them questions, but still the answers, it didn't all make sense when you're that young. But uh, it left me with that desire to learn more. Um, then you kind of finish out school, starting to college, you're on a different path. And then Honestly, I just got fortunate enough to have lunch with a guy that was willing to teach me the land side of oil and gas, which, you know, you've got your specialty that's a little bit um, specific to one discipline in the industry. Well, land and title is specific to one discipline in the industry, but it's all equally vital. Uh, So really just a short career, short being like about six years in in that side of the industry. Gave me a little bit of, or I guess enough understanding of that part to where I could get employment for different parts. And once I got the hang of a few different disciplines, um, I just went out on my own and was buying and selling deals uh, just with what capital I had. And that worked. So, uh, like, how do I grow this? And brought in some family. We did a few deals that worked, which brought in more family. And they brought in outsiders that weren't family. And then, um, I don't know, string of good luck, uh, good, diligent um, oversight. But um, it never really went south for us, so it's grown pretty fast. I feel like I'm young compared to a lot of the people that do what I do. And hope it continues because it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, man. You know, oil and gas can be super volatile, right? But it's an, it's a very interesting industry. I love oil and gas industry, man. And again, uh, very interesting. So uh, I do want to ask, though, did you always know that you were going to go off on your own? Is that kind of the plan from the beginning? Like you always, always wanted to go off on your own? Okay, great. Always. Um, man, you get so infatuated. I mean, some people want to be a pro ball player. Uh, some people want to be an actress or a movie star. And like being around those guys as a kid, like they 
if I were to recite their names and you're in the industry, you'd know who they were, but they're not like Hunt or Murkison or any of the like names that you read about. But I did read about those guys. And that was my Pudge Rodriguez or uh, Patrick Mahomes growing up. So uh, at 5'9", at you know, you're not going to go play pro football or probably not even play pro baseball. Uh, but you can, you know, pursue business dreams. So that was that's always been the dream. And I've just never lost sight of that and try to continue to pursue it every day, even though I'm like, feel like I'm on that path or really there in a way. I uh, just feel like there's still a long way to go. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, long, long career ahead of you there, and I think there's a lot of room for, for growth as well. Um, so let's just dive into it, man. Again, I told you, we talked a little bit earlier, this is the this is the first time we've had anybody on the show to talk about oil and gas. You got boots on the ground, so I'd like to get everybody just up to date, really. So give us some insight as to kind of what's going on currently in the oil and gas industry. What are some topics that maybe the listeners need to be aware of? Um, I guess like what's going on with oil and gas right now, we're just coming off of like a crazy run of high prices and they're actually still pretty high right now. Uh, but they've kind of come down just enough that, uh, the cost to get things done, the overhead associated with producing assets, it's all starting to come down too. So we're really kind of hitting our stride in, uh, the sense that we're seeing better economics really than we were last year. Uh, it was such a rush um, and a mad dash to the finish line like I've never seen before because prices were so high that everybody wanted to work. That's usually fine. We usually grow at like such a pace that we knock the prices all the way down. 2008, 2009, you know, not even a full year, 100 plus dollar oil. And next year we're all the way down to 27. Um, then this time around, you're coming right out of COVID. COVID price or the prices during COVID were so low. And although not sustained, they just got to the point where people shut down. A lot of vendors left, moved to core areas, laid people off. And then when it got crazy again, they couldn't find the help if they did have the equipment and did make it through that. So it was, we were all fighting for the same services last year. Um, you, you are used to, you know, having a rig come out and you can make a phone call and it's there within five, six days. Right. Well, if they didn't do a good job, you know, you could run them off because given another five or six days, somebody's there to take their place. Last year wasn't quite like that because all the labor hadn't returned and a lot of the companies that, that were doing the service work had vanished. Um, and you were one of tons of companies that really wanted to get active. Uh, this year kind of, it's, it's been a lot easier. So the labor's return, people aren't so in a rush, I guess you'd say, are we still working? Yes. Just about as more or just about more than ever with the exclusion of the last year, but last year is a whole lot of wanting a lot got done, but not near as much as you'd like this year. It's like the less people wanting cause the hysteria of hundred plus dollar oils kind of behind us and all the services are back. So it's a super good time right now. You're getting stuff done cheaper and your product's still worth a great number. So I'm really excited to kind of live out this year. Well, man, I'm, uh, you know, glad to hear that, you know, as, as a guy who works in the oil and gas industry myself, 
always good news to hear that type of stuff, right? And see the operators kind of blowing and going, doing their thing, and you know, uh, having a, a an outlook, good outlook on uh, uh, at least a near term future, right? So um, love to hear that. You know, we do hear a lot about kind of like risk in this industry and talk about you know what's going to happen in the future. There's a lot of talk about you know all the electrical vehicles and all that stuff, right? So what are some of the biggest challenges you see for oil and gas as we move forward? Say you know six twelve months, maybe two, three, four, five years down the road, what are some of the things you guys are kind of like forecasting out and seeing as some of the things that you need that uh, oil and gas men need to be aware of? Well, I'd say kind of if you're going on the risk standpoint, that's one conversation. But, you know, the future and what it holds for oil and gas, I think it's going to become more apparent that it's not going anywhere and not because the lack of effectiveness of other sources of power, renewables, whatever have you. But um, just the growth in population and the limitations of any and all industries, um, maybe they find a bunch more lithium. Maybe they find a whole lot more coal. Maybe they are more responsible in the way they extract it. They find a better, better way to dispose of like the stuff that's you know uh, past its expiration date. So you know, it my my argument has been in the past that hey, they can't scale up to offset. Um, you know, the demand for our product, hey, they can't scale up in the resources to make their product, hey, they can't figure out how to dispose of their um, products that aren't working anymore to, yeah, I still believe that, but the population's growing and we're not to the point where they've exceeded the supply to make their stuff. We're not to the point where it's been a long enough period of time where they've got to figure out how to dispose of things and start replacing them we're to the point where they're growing as fast as ever but so is our demand so you got to ask yourself if they're growing so fast they're becoming more of the mix and it's actually moving the needle a little bit how are we consuming more oil um why is demand going up well you've got third world countries that are actually moving up in the world at the same time and you're finding other uses because one thing that was good about these low prices during COVID is uh, they turned to hydrocarbons from coal. You know, they turned to hydrocarbons from just various uh, industrial uses because it was so cheap. They tried it and it worked and it's reliable. So just the reliability and um, how you can store, ship, um, it, it doesn't necessarily inspire. Uh, there's not many places you can't transport it to. Uh, so all, it's just usability, um, open doors that probably would have remained closed had it not been so affordable for that period of time. And then now that they're there, they're like, okay, well, we can't go in any other direction because it's just not reliable enough. Um, so I think it's a combination of other countries that don't have all the resources they'd like to have. They're not going to renewables as their first choice. It's more expensive, it's unreliable, and they don't have the infrastructure to facilitate it. Um, but this they do. So really, I, I think the industry's just fine for a very long time. Um, nuclear could offset a lot of that, but if they were to make it safer, but there were a few really big explosions this year that made a lot of people pause and, and cut projects they thought they were there and that the safety was was such that 
it wasn't the big concern that it's been in the past with some real big freak accidents sure. and then more happening. So all signs lead right back here. And I hope there's alternatives because, you know, we're, we're low, we're lower on inventory each and every day because there's such a limited amount of, um, unconventional resource and unconventional is that guaranteed big production that, and I shouldn't use the word guaranteed, but when you drill a horizontal well of West Texas, as you know, they don't miss a lot of them right. and they're big, they're big production numbers, but we've been taking advantage of that for a while and that inventory won't go on forever. And when that inventory is gone, you've actually got to use true exploration methods to try to find uh, more production. And even when that's successful, it's, it's not near as meaningful. Um, whenever you're doing conventional drilling, a good outcome is a two or three in a barrel a day. Well, um, you might've had to really work hard to find out where to drill and, and find that well. Right. When you go to West Texas and it's horizontal drilling, oh man, you're, you're sick if that's all you get. I mean, most of your wells <laughs> are going to get 1,000, 1,200, 2,000 barrels a day. And you can drill 50 of them in a row in a short span of time. Right. And that drills up. I mean, $200 oil sounds crazy, but it's going to sound cheap if we, if some, if things don't change um, and we don't, you know, get to rely on another source soon. So either it gets very lucrative for us or it gets very, very, very lucrative for us. Um, but I'm hoping it's whatever the outcome is. It's not such that it's hard on everybody else. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point, right? I think uh, a lot of people are in the, in the mindset of, you know, we definitely want, uh, oil prices to be, you know, uh, somewhat moderated, right. Where they should be. Right. But I think for, for a lot of us who work in the oil and gas industry, you got to look at it at both sides too. Right. So it's definitely kind of a, an interesting viewpoint to have. But uh, yeah, man, so that's a super interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to dive into Norwood Energy. So talk talk to us yeah. about, you know, kind of what you guys are doing, what you're focused on, what your operations look like, all of that. Okay. Well, we have a couple of different funding sources. Um, some of our partners prefer acquisitions uh, where it's very predictable cash flow for a specific amount of time with a very clear exit strategy. Uh, some of the acquisitions just hold so much upside and you Although the returns are good, if you're patient long enough, um, your day's going to come and uh, it's it's going to be quite an interesting multiple when you liquidate. Um, and then there's the people that are really pursuing tax benefits with a lucrative but at least risk mitigated strategy. And we do a lot of that. Um, I've only got one fund that prefers a hybrid where we go in and buy a company or a field from a company and then further develop it. Um, but to kind of make all that easy. We do a lot of acquiring, low risk, predictable cash flow, uh, predictable exit. And then we go in and drill in historic fields where we have plenty of data to make us feel comfortable about what our outcome is going to look like. That's the more lucrative one, but even with all the data, all the comfort and stuff there, anything can happen when you're a mild plus below the ground. Um, so if you can bear a little bit of risk, you're, you're looking at a much greater uh, return along with the tax benefits. So it really just depends on what kind of guy are you? Do you want to do a little bit of both? And what's what's your reason behind investing in the first place? Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have so many vehicles that have nothing to do with oil and gas, you know, sure. bonds, stocks, annuities, um, multifamily alternatives. 
you know, everybody has their taste buds and then some people want a little bit of everything. Um, but we try to facilitate those two main strategies and then every once in a while we'll blend them together. So that's, that's what we pursue, uh, to go a little further. We're very active in Texas. We're fairly active in Louisiana. Um, and then we've been just blowing it down in Kansas. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So, uh, I know a lot of, uh, you know, we talk a lot about passive investing on the show, typically in real estate, because that's usually what we dive into. But, uh, you know, I think passive investors would be uh, very interested to hear about this uh, kind of vehicle, right? This, uh, this investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. So you mentioned kind of two different strategies. One that's a little bit, uh, less risky, one that has a little bit more risk on it, but you get a lot of tax benefits. So when it comes to these type of investments, say if you're doing a hybrid or whatever, is this look more of like a, like a equity multiple play or like a cash flow pay? What does that, what does that look like in, in your opinion from the investment standpoint? Well, I guess, so it would be a little bit of both, you okay. know, and, and so it is a true yeah. hybrid. It is a true hybrid. So, you know, you're going to, if you're planning on just a typical acquisition, you know, run of the mill market price, um, not necessarily overpaying, but you're not getting a good deal on just an acquisition up 30 to 35% a year. is just like standard, you know, things in oil and gas traded about a three year cash flow multiple. So when you purchase that, let's just say we're going to do a true 50, 50, um, let's call it a million dollars uh then you've got a million in acquisition so on the other hand to mirror that would be a million for drilling so now you get two million so what does that do to your day one cash flow it cuts it in half and so anywhere between 30 and 32 and a half or 15 and 16 and a quarter percent would probably be right in that window of what day one uh annual cash flow looks like then you apply your drilling dollars and if successful well, a good drilling deal, you're looking at 12 to 18 months return on capital. So you kind of blend your basis with that 30 to 35% with that 70 to 100%, you meet somewhere in the middle. So then like you got half the tax benefit, but with that return, or and then you've also got that stable and comfort, you know, long-term cash flow. Right. Just keep coming. Um, then, you know, it, it fares pretty well when uh, stood next to other investments. Um, but you're not really missing out on anything. And I guess your downside in that situation is if you're, if your drilling dollars, uh, were unsuccessful, well, then you'd be stuck with the one. Um, but let's say either outcome, good drilling, bad drilling, you've got this cash flow. Uh, if you, if you ask me like, Hey, what can we go buy something for? I've got one answer for you. Hey, what can we go sell it for? I've got a different answer for that too. So when I'm actually going out there to acquire things, I'm trying to, you know, get the best deal we can with the most upside we can. When I'm trying to sell it, you know, when I'm talking to advisory firms or auctions or whoever, you know, you want to tell it in the best light you can. You want to do the best you can for your investors so it commands the highest price. Uh, so if we're buying, right, there's a lot of speculative upside for whoever purchases it from you. And they might not have known that when, the previous owner sold it to you. So you really want to kind of prove those concepts. Um, and an example would be, you know, everything's producing out of the Ellenberger and Ellenberger is a deep formation. Luckily you've got a little Texas oil experience, uh, but there's a straw and sand, a bowl. So we might go in one well and prove the straw and sand works. So when we go to sell ours, we're not just getting that three year multiple, you know, 
producing that strong sand improves our cash flows. Now we're cash flowing 40% a year and or, hey, we're going to sell this thing for 33% more um, just on the cash flow. But you display, I've got strong sand and 10 more of these. I can improve the cash flow by X. And then you look to exit. That's that's one strategy is just displaying potential if pursued. And here's how we know it works. You know, because it's basically making the value of your asset more lucrative. Now, the thing about last year, which would have been really cool if you owned just anything oil and gas, is when you break $100 a barrel, that hysteria just sets in. And people start paying five, six, seven years for it because they think it's going to 200. And you know it's not. It's, history tells you, uh, but you're not going to stop a buyer from, uh, you know, taking you and your partners out at such a higher rate. Um, so really, like the exit strategy is either going to be use your technical skills to display upside, and either display it or prove it, and then go get market rate and or wait for prices to improve and just make sure you buy it right. Um, but those are really the exit strategies. And since it's always moving like that, and it's not like other markets don't, um, it's hard to foresee how long you'll sit in something. Hmm. But I, I always like to say three to five years and or drive. It just depends on the field, how long it's gonna take to um, realize some of this upside that we bought it for in the first place. Uh, and if it's in the short term, then heck, once we pursued it, we're just waiting on, waiting on the right candidate to buy us, you know, for something better than market. And, and they happen, you know, if you shop a lot, you're going to find good deals. Uh, and if you shop what you possess a lot, you're going to find, you know, a premium buyer. So three to five or five to 10, depending on the field and the strategy behind the field is kind of the hold time. Um, but you kind of, can sit in things at the same time and, and cash flow that three to five. And you might be sitting at a couple a couple times your return and or three, two, three, four hundred percent while you're waiting to find that right buyer and then further improve kind of what you uh, leave with when the dust settles. And I've done a lot of that. Um, one of the more recent ones, we bought a field in Louisiana for our 1.5, had great cash flow to it. Uh, but it's also the first deal that we used any kind of leverage. So the note was four and a half, the cash in it was one and a half. We actually sold 40% of the asset and that wiped out all of the, um, debt mm -hmm. and it paid out what was remainder of the investment. So it, we used the term payout. I forgot to mention earlier, but once you put in a million dollars, you get a million dollars out, you're paid out. So in that transaction, we paid off the note and we were paid out and without the service to that note, cause you can only get finance usually for five years. It's not spread out very much. We wound up with the same cash flow and no debt. Um, so that, that was a great loop. Now other guys are like, okay, what do we have to do now? And it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep cash flow in this thing at 40% a year? You have no money in it. Or do you want me to sell it? And we go do this all over again. Um, so I don't know, I might be on a lonely island as one of the few managers that kind of asks, but it's, it's just fun to play the game. So kind of what everybody's general feeling is, is what I'll go with sometimes, unless it's gotta be real strategic. And I'm like, no, trust me, trust me. This is, 
what's best for all of us. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's super interesting, man. And I think there's a, there's a lot we could a lot of different directions we could take that in, right? And I definitely want to um, uh, jump into some different areas. But uh, you got to be honest with you, I think it would take us uh, maybe three more episodes to dive into all that stuff because I got a yeah. ton of questions, man. And I think it's super interesting. So um, just just with the time aspect in mind, man, uh, we'll have to bring you back on the show if you're interested, and we'll dive Thanks. into more of like this investment, oil and gas, the risks and stuff like that, and how you're mitigating those. Because I think a lot of a lot of the listeners they don't know much about this type of investment, right? It's, it's usually multifamily or self-storage or something, right? Those have been the foundation of kind of the topics we've talked about on this show, but this is super interesting, right? And especially um, kind of, you mentioned the tax benefits before. One of the interesting things about this is a lot of this times they can go against your active taxes, right? So, uh, you know, your earned income tax. So, which is huge for W-2 employees right now, or W-2 uh, employees who are investors as well. So, um, we're gonna have to bring you back on the show, man. But but before we dive into you know how investors or how our listeners can get a hold of you, what are you guys focused on for the rest of twenty twenty three? Are are you got any objectives for the next six to twelve months that you guys are really trying to hammer out? Yeah, no, we're um we're kind of blowing through a field that we discovered in October last year. So kind of what I'm doing right now is two to four well increments. We're just continuing to to develop the field. Like I was asking if you had ever heard of Eli, we're improving mm. our design, trying to make the most of a continuous reservoir um, because it's not super expensive to play the game in that area. Um, we're not having to pay the premium for services like you would in Texas or acreage. So we've got a really good thing with kind of some amplified returns just because our cost basis is stay low because there's not competition out here. Um, so we're going to continue to pound them in right there until people start taking notice and try to copycat and run the prices up. Then we'll get back to the normal sixes and sevens where everybody else is playing. But that's given us a real good advantage uh, throughout the end of last year, the first part of this year. And I'm hoping to keep it going at least for another year and a half before a lot of people uh, take notice and, and try to compete with us. That's awesome, man. Love to hear it. Cool, man. So uh, before we get out here, tell listeners how they can find out more about Norwood Energy and how they can connect with you. Yeah. I mean, the website, there's a contact us little form and then uh, give you a chance to leave your email, phone number and, and what have you. But we have all social medias too. So those are kind of fun. You know, we're constantly putting reels out, uh, videos, YouTube uh, videos, uh, just the operations on the ground um, in real time on our own stuff. So it, it makes it fun. You know, if you get into something, you're always welcome to come check it out firsthand boots on the ground uh but it's usually remote places so just because it's remote i don't want you to feel like you've never laid eyes on it so it's not the same as being there in person but you sure feel like it yeah that's that's super cool you uh you guys are allow people to come check that out man because uh, you know before i worked in oil and gas the first time i stepped on a on a pad it was a whole new world for me man i had no idea didn't know anything about it so yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely exciting. So highly encourage people to check that out and get a hold of you and and check out what you guys are going on. But uh, man, this has been a great conversation. We're gonna get you back on the show. We can dive more uh, into all this oil and gas stuff, so our listeners can kind of learn more about it and you know see if uh, some sort of uh, oil and gas investing might be for them. But man, this has been great. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And looking forward to the next episode with you. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. 
We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios. And your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.